There's nothing more important than family, and for more than 100 years now, customers have turned to Farmers New World Life Insurance Company and agents like Bryce Babcock to help protect the financial security of their loved ones. What makes us different, first off, is we're, we're completely customer service oriented, meaning that our goal is every day to be available. The other piece, too, is that I'm young, I'm 31 years old, and so I'm hungry, and I'm very motivated every single day to continue to make this agency grow, and, and that's just something that, you know, I, I think that I bring them a lot of other agents do. My initial thought was it's expensive and I just don't have money to invest in my long-term future. Everything I have, I need right now. But once I started looking at the options, it's an absolute no-brainer. You can find a life insurance plan that works for you and you should. It's not just about death either. There's whole life insurance policies that actually have cash value that build over time and so on. So Bryce will break all of that down for you for free. The call is a no-brainer. You have to do it. Brandon's 100% right. Plus, Bryce is even giving out a deal specifically for BSN listeners. I'm going to go ahead and send out a $10 Starbucks gift card right right off the bat. And so you don't have to do business with us. You don't have to. There's no payment needed or anything like that. It's something that we're going to do for anyone that comes in from BSN. gives us an opportunity to earn their business. Call 303-996-6509 today. That's 303-996-6509. Hey guys, we are so excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft Coffee can't make any claims, but this CBD-enriched coffee has really changed lives and their reviews are incredible. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, decreased anxiety, you name it. CBD is all-natural and non-psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use promo code BSN2018 at checkout and get it straight to your door. Now enjoy the show, guys. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast, powered by the BSN Denver Podcast Network. For the Colorado Avalanche, that's Matt Duchesne. Right now, news is breaking that he has been involved in a trade that has been completed, and it looks like they have pulled him off the ice here after just playing a couple of minutes to start this hockey game. The best Avalanche coverage in Denver. Fans have the puck again in the New York zone. Shot, score! Yes, who? Taking you beyond the ice and inside the locker room. Gerard didn't have a stick. The handoff in the slot broken up with a skate by Gerard. He broke up that play. Then he stopped it there. Oh, wow. What a play by Gerard. <laughs> and now, here are your hosts, A.J. Hafley and Adrian Dater. Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks Welcome into the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. I'm your host, Jesse Montano. We have a very special episode for you guys today, and I, I can't wait to get it started. Our own Adrian Dater had the chance to sit down with Theo Fleury, one of one of the, the, at least one of the greatest players under six feet of all time. Probably should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, at, you know, after he retired, he's he's came out with you know with a book had an absolutely incredible life 
I guess I don't know if incredible is the right word. It's it's an amazing story. You just have to hear it, and and uh, and you know, Theo Fleury was was nice enough to come on, and and I mean he doesn't hold anything back. So I'm not going to keep talking at you. I know you guys uh, probably want to get to the interview. So Adrian Dater sitting down with Theo Fleury. He's a uh, legendary NHL former player. I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's he's got the credentials, in my opinion. He's He's, he's got all the numbers. He's won a Stanley Cup. He overcame all kinds of obstacles to do what he did. Uh, today he is a, a force for good in the world, and I mean that most sincerely with what he's done uh, in the last, gosh, 13 years now, Theron. Uh, my, my guest today is former Avalanche star, was a brief shining star, but he was a star nonetheless then and as always. Uh, my guest is number 14, Theron Flurry. Theron, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Adrian. And my mom, I'm going to have to send the podcast to my mom because you actually called me by my real name. <laughs> yeah. I knew that that was the way you, you always wanted to be referred to. Theo was never. Yeah. Theron is. The I know. Pe- you know, Theron is your real given name. Theron is what you like to be called by. I always knew that from day one. Yeah, yeah. And, All right, well, I'm going to send that people, podcast to her for sure. When, uh, when people call me Theo, I feel like Cher or Madonna or something <laughs> like that. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little catchier maybe in certain ways, but, uh, you know, uh, Theron, it's... It's so good to talk to you. I mean, this all this podcast kind of came about in a matter of minutes. Uh, I saw a tweet of yours that uh, you put out saying, "Hey, is anybody out there can help me do a podcast? Please DM me." Well, not only could I help you, which it sounds like you've got plenty of offers already, so I'm going to leave it to them probably. But uh, uh, gosh, you know. You would do a hell of a job on a podcast. Uh, I feel like your podcast is going to be a, a top twenty hit right off the right off the box. Uh, Sarah, let me start with you. Your first question: What what made you want to do a podcast, and what would your what would your aim be in that podcast? Well, you know, since I left the game and uh, I wrote my book in two thousand and nine. Um, Basically, for the last 10 years, all I see in the world is pain and suffering every day because I work in the field of trauma, mental health, and addiction. And, you know, we've pretty much exhausted every avenue uh, that we can because we've done a book, we've done a documentary. You know, I produced a country music album about my struggles and all that. And, and, uh, you know what I I see a whole lot of awareness around the subjects that I talk about, but yet, you know, we have the highest suicide rates in the history of mankind. So why is this uh, awareness not being turned into healing? And so, you know, the more people I can talk to who have come out on the other side, you know, I think that's great advice for people who continue to struggle or don't have the support or, you know, whatever it is, you know, maybe 
maybe by me interviewing you, for example, and getting you to be vulnerable on a podcast where you're talking about your struggles and how you've come out on the other side, you know, maybe the light bulb will go on for somebody. I was just going to say... I was just going to say I'd come on any time. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I have not divulged all the struggles I've had, but I've, uh, you you know, I've put out some and I know, you know, I'd be happy to talk more for somebody who really is interested and who really, you know, gets it. You know, know what's really funny is that, you know, they have this stat that says one in five people suffer with mental health issues. My experience in my research in the last 10 years is it's five and five, not one and five. It's five and five. And and because there's so much shame attached to mental health and addiction and sexual abuse and all that, you know, it doesn't allow us, you know, the opportunity to speak to our pain and suffering by using our voice, right? And when we don't use our voice and we suppress all these emotions, it's just a bad formula for, you know, yeah, being but, messed but, up, which, but, is, which, which is what happened to me at the end of my hockey career. That's exactly what happened. And that's what I've, I've still dealt with, you know, um, I went through a public calamity about four years ago. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I watched it. Lost I my job. I, uh, I, I felt I felt for you. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, it, you know, some of the lot, a lot of the, you know, the real story was kind of twisted around and whatnot. But the bottom line is, I made my own mistakes that caused my, you know, bad things in my life based on the things I was doing, you know, in my personal life i mean i was drinking way too much uh yeah you know i would come home from a game and very often you know put away not one but two bottles of wine a night you know doing doing blogs all night you know Uh, Mm um then i'd pop a couple ambient pills on top of that so i could get a quote-unquote better night's sleep Uh, (laughs) yeah okay and then i'd be sort of half out of my mind and still be on the computer um, yeah. All things that I was kind of trying to do to, I think, you know, it's kind of, you can't, it's hard to label it. Like, why why was I doing that? Well, I don't know. I guess I loved to taste the wine for a lot, uh, but it was kind of an addiction. Uh, I liked the way the ambient yeah, made well, me turn off my mind, so yeah. that was an addiction. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, it made me do I, things that I wasn't in my right mind. Uh, yeah, I and I and I hate the word addiction. I hate it. Why do you because hate it? Because there's so much, because there's so much shame attached to it. Yeah, yeah. You know and, what I mean? But yeah. you know, you live in Colorado. Marijuana is legal. Alcohol is legal. You know what I mean? And 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 people just want to say to you, "Well, why don't you just stop?" Well, I wish I could. I wish it was that easy. But you know, what I call it is emotional pain management is what it is that's what it is and we all have different kinds of coping mechanisms that we use that are attached to the word addiction yeah right yeah 
because we because we don't have a safe place or safe environment where especially as men where we can go and talk about what's bothering us yeah i think i think I think I'm coming up with some titles of just on the top of my head for your new podcast. But I mean, I think it should be something like you know, uh, uh, men talking about men, or you know, a hockey player talks about real life men stuff, or something like that. You know, because I do think that there's a a gaping void still out there about the shame of men sort of talking about their struggles and it's still there it's still there for me to this day i mean that you know just saying what i did just now on my own podcast was kind of hard for me and i'm kind of worried about what people are going to say about it but yeah but it's it's none of it's none of their business you know why because <clears throat> because when we project and we judge we do it because we've been triggered okay all right. And if you and I always say, you know what? You can judge me all you want. But first of all, let me look inside of your closet first before you're allowed to judge me. <clears throat> because if your closet is clean and if your side of the street is clean, judge me all you want. But I guarantee you you have something in your closet well theo what theron theo there i go i i, I like to call you theo in short but theron mm. seriously you know for me um you know it was it was it was all made public and you you've had the same thing uh, but you know, I'll tell you what personally turned helped me turn around, and it's an ongoing process. Of course, it's never quite finished. You know, there's still yeah, things I'm working on it's right forever. this second. Uh, it's forever. But it's forever. You know, I lose my job publicly in in uh, I think it was December of 2014. Uh, you know, I was semi suicidal for the first few days. I didn't know what to do. My whole life was. Everything I always said wouldn't happen or kind of, you know, did happen to me. I always said, don't make a name, a name for yourself in a headline. Don't do anything that would put your name in a headline. And there I go, and I do it. And I think there was some kind of subconscious what way that I knew that would happen. So when it happened, though, um, of course I was super freaked out at first. But I remember there was a part of me that said, okay, this... This is as scary as it's going to get. And there's a part of me, as strange as this sounds, has almost embraced something new in a way. Like, this will be hell, but hey, I'm going to experience hell now. So that helped yep. me get for, through, through those first uh, suicidal first three days. Um, and then I always wanted to do something different anyway. I was really burned out as a sports writer and that's partly what led to me you know uh f crashing a little bit even though like i said there were some some things about the whole thing that i did that that had never been told that are a little little more sketchy too um you know from other people but anyway um i became a substitute teacher at a at a very 
poor uh, school district. Um, kids on the ropes. Kids in trouble financially. Kids who don't have enough to eat. Kids who need to go to school just to get a, a meal in their bellies. Uh, two months after covering uh, NHL hockey and living in fat hotel rooms, I was shoveling snow in a parking lot, I remember, for uh, a uh, as a substitute gym teacher. And my job was to go out and shovel the entire parking lot. Big parking lot. And I just wow. thought, okay, here you are, Adrian. <laughs> this is your life now. Here we go. You know, here's a new, mm-hmm. new chapter for you. And I don't know why this is happening, but it's happening. So you better damn well deal with it. Um, and after I shoveled the, the snow, I went in and I remember my job was to teach uh, second graders how to shoot baskets, you know, for the period. And so we all lined up and, you know, I'm a old, I'm six foot six, as you may remember. I'm a little taller than you, mm-hmm. Karen. Uh, yep. A foot taller. <laughs> so, you know, I knew about hoops. I'm teaching how to shoot hoops. To cut a long story short, I don't think I'd trade in the moment I had with like a second grade uh, Hispanic girl and a few girls and other guys, of course, but there was more girls than guys in this class. And I remember just sitting there thinking, you know, I'm teaching a young Hispanic girl how to shoot baskets. I'll never forget the look of joy on her face when she actually made a basket with some of the first techniques I was teaching her. That That is something that I remember when it happened was like, gosh, this is a different level of experience than I've had in so long, just interviewing mumbling hockey players and their cliches this is different this is this is something new and i now look i'm back doing hockey media stuff but that teaching experience that i did for well over a year and a half are things that helped me out of the abyss got me back into the real world um got me back to i think examining what was real the real me and you know things have gotten a lot better for me since um yeah, because, uh, and, because you, you know, and you, I'm, I'm back you, to doing what you, I think I do best, which is, you know, tell stories, write stories, try to just explore other people's <laughs> lives instead of mine. But now that I've gotten personal, you know, I remember reading in your book, which is a fantastic book. Uh, everybody has to read it. Um, it is it, it is a, it's probably the best hockey book I've ever read, not to mention just plain old book. Um uh, it is it is your life story where you said you looked in a mirror in 2005, I believe, for the first time in many mm-hmm. years. Can you take me back to that moment where you started learned about yourself and started to turn your life around on that day in 2005? Yeah, well, <laughs> geez, you know, it was quite a it was quite a journey to get to that point, you know, and you know, I hadn't. I hadn't really grasped grasped onto uh, spirituality at that point at that point in my life, and you know that was the day that I, you know, had it out with God. You know, and, you said you called and, him every name in the book. Oh yeah, absolutely. Made up a couple of my own too, <laughs> and you know. But after, you know, I got, 
rid of all that anger, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, I realize you only give me as much as I can handle. I said, I'm full. I said, you can't put one more thing on my plate. Cause I said, I'm, I'm maxed out here, you know? <clears throat> and then at the end of the conversation, I said to him, I said, you know, I said, please God take away the obsession to drink and do drugs. And <clears throat> I went to bed and woke up the next morning and I haven't had a drink or a drug since. And that was September 18th, 2005. Gosh, you know? I mean, just and from that, I guess I, I guess I was ready, you know, and up until that point, I wasn't ready. But at that point in my life, I knew that God, I was it's... probably going to die. I was probably going to die a bitter, lonely, angry old man. And I knew, and I knew, and I knew that I was better than that. I knew that I was better than that. That's that's so important to, to have, for you to have found. I mean, I, I I think I found the same thing. Where I, I think I'm I'm more important than this. I have other things, you know, that I need to do, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm tougher than this. I'm not going to let this beat me. Uh, you know, it's 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 a big obstacle, but I'm not going to let it beat me. Um, and, uh, you know, in your book, obviously, you know, playing with fire, which I, everybody should run out and buy it right now on Amazon who hasn't, <laughs> wants to read a really honest book about a person who was at the top of his profession in life, in, in everything. Um, but, you know, Farron, you obviously, you detailed the way you went through and the biggest, not to mention a, a household of, you know, I think you say, you know, some addiction in your household growing up, but um, then you had a junior hockey coach who sexually abused you, and you're very, very open about it in the book, and I'm not telling tales out of school here. Mm -hmm. Hell, man, that's a lot to, that's a lot to handle for, for a young man, and no wonder you, no wonder you had the problems you did, and yet you were still able to have what I believe is truly a Hall of Fame career. I mean... You look at the numbers. You've got them all, Theo. Before I get, before we get back into the journey, I mean, would you agree you're a Hall of Famer? I mean, I think you should be. I think we need to start a campaign now. I mean, you've got the numbers. <laughs> you've won a cup. You, I, who cares if you had problems? You've you've overcome them and made them a positive, which has made a difference in the world for so many people. That should make you a Hall of Fame worthy person right there, because it's the person's. It's not what they do. As mistakes, it's how they overcome them and turn them into positives. You've done that. Damn it, get you into the Hall of Fame. You're, I'm, I'm off my soapbox, but yeah. Does it? Do you think about that at all? Well, I wouldn't be human if I didn't. <laughs> you know, um, but you know, it's out of my hands, and you know, I hope the people PC people on the Hall of Fame board. Get the head out of the asses and put you in because you definitely deserve it. You got the numbers. Um, well, I saw I saw I I saw a stat only because Marty St. Louis went into the Hockey Hall of Fame this year. Yeah. And of all the guys that played in the NHL who were five foot eight and under, I have I have the most points. Right. Of every person. Right. You're you are to this you remain to this day right? Theron, unless you've had a growth spurt, you're five foot six when you played. 
That's it. In a <laughs> in a league where you know smaller guys were not allowed to play very much in the league uh, without getting their heads caved in. I mean, you you know, you took every slash in the book, every hook hold, and you gave it back just as good as you got it. By the way, I remember watching you. Uh, oh yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, you played you played uh, you know you played 15 years in the league um, or. You know, you played a thousand games. The, I wish he had gotten to five hundred goals because I know that that is a magic yeah. number, quote unquote. Uh, yeah, well, some guy, some guy from Colorado. I don't know what his name is. He wore number twenty-one. Yeah, he has two hundred and some goals. Yeah, okay. right. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. Well. And you did it on the international stage too. You won gold medals with Team Canada, you know. Um, so yeah, that, I, I did it. I did it all. Yeah, I know yeah. you did. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. When we come back, more of Adrian Dater and Theo Fleury as we get a little bit more caught up on what Fleury's up to nowadays. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. We'll be right back. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, before we get back to Adrian Dater sitting down with Theo Fleury, I want to tell you guys about In We Go, Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 per month with no additional costs or fees. You heard that right, no additional fees, literally hundreds of events for $39 per month. For instance, in the next few weeks, you can hit up Gucci Mane, Piles vs. Providence, Boogie T, Avs vs. Blues, Buffs vs. Rams, and so many more. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that In We Go can get you in. Now, here is where it gets good, guys. We have partnered with In We Go to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the In We Go app for free and use the promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get half off your first month. That's right, all of those same events in Denver for under $20 during your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we all did at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use the promo code BSN50. Now let's get back to the show. To catch me up on what you're doing now, Theo, Theron, you've, you've done so many things, but just tell me what your main you know organization that you're you work for now and what you what you do on a day-to-day basis because you know you're you're, you've done it for a long time but i know that you're you're involved with a lot of different people but what's your tell me where you work for now what you you know people will go find you and stuff like that what's your Mm. main source of sort of employment if you will yeah 
So I have a company, uh, Flurry 14 Enterprises, Inc. And what we do is uh, I have a speaking business. And that, you know, we're basically we're on the road 200 days of the year speaking. So I'm pretty much somewhere different every week. And I'm speaking about trauma, mental health, and addiction. So uh, I've written, I've written, and I, I wrote a follow-up book uh, called Conversations with a Rattlesnake that sold, I don't know, forty or fifty thousand copies of that book. Uh, I've done two, do- I've done two documentaries. I'm, I'm writing a third book right now. Um, but basically, you know, the whole goal here is try to alleviate pain and suffering in the world because that's all I see. Like I told you, every single day, everywhere I go, all I see is pain and suffering. You know, um, it's fu- you know what the number one state in the U.S., I believe, for suicides is too, or the biggest increase? Uh, Colorado. Colorado? Yep. And nobody yeah. really knows why. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty nice place to live in. Um we're, we're all yeah. trying to figure out why. Um, Theron, what oh. do you think is the thing, I mean, the shame of men coming forward. When you do these talks to, 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 to people, and I guess, I'm guess i guessing a lot of them are men. Oh, yeah. What, what, how do we break through the quote-unquote glass ceiling, so to speak, uh, about, you know, uh, getting men to talk about this what what do you think makes them do it eventually what does your experience show that makes men finally make a change for the better well you know um do you know who Brene Brown is okay so she's a speaker who write writes books but she also has a a degree and she did a study on vulnerability and what she discovered is is vulnerability is courage okay and so when we create safety through vulnerability you know that's when the magic of healing happens right so so because vulnerability or the stigma around vulnerability and when it comes to men is that vulnerability for some reason means that you're weak well it doesn't actually it means the opposite it means you're a person of tremendous courage and strength and resilience and survival and and so we just need to bring that out in somebody but how do we do that well we use our stories, our experience, where we don't sugarcoat it, right? You know, and that's what happened in my book is I just said it. I got raped 150 times by my coach, right? My parents, my parents experienced trauma in their childhood. That manifested itself into addictions as adults. And unfortunately, they had me. And they didn't have their 
proverbial shit together. And so I had to witness their trauma experience, right? And so, you know, I don't blame anybody anymore because there's no blame to be placed because we're all doing the best we can with what we have, right? We're all doing the best we can with what we have. Now, how do we turn uh, chicken shit into chicken salad? Well, we have to take our negative experiences and turn them into positive experiences, right? And that, and that pain is a great motivator, okay? Because it gets us to change, right? So, so the way that I look at all of those experiences that I had as a child and as an adolescent, I see those things as gifts in my life now. Because without that experience, without having those experiences, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I'm doing. And it just so happens, it just so happens that it's the biggest epidemic on the planet. And there's no better person in the world to take on this than me. Because I have, because I have the experiences. And... I figured out a way to live my life one day at a time and be in the present, not live in the past, not think about the future, but actually be comfortable in my own skin. That's that's, that's one thing I absolutely made a huge, uh, on the tip of family and friends was to stop. For me, it was always like a constant worry about stuff. Uh, the worry produced anxiety in me, and to quell the anxiety, I would drink uh, a lot of alcohol to to quell that anxiety. Yeah. But then the the alcohol would create other situations for me that would create actions that led to more anxiety. Yep. Uh, so it's a no win situation. You just, get, you, um, you just get caught. You get caught in that. You know that cycle of, you know. But but yeah, I mean, for for me, I don't think the, without sounding like a, in denial here a little bit, the, the the alcohol I don't think caused everything. It was the anxiety. It was the the, the more of the depression for me, more of the constant worry. And and one of the things I was directed toward and still do is and, and work on every day is being in the moment. If you want to call it Buddhism, if you want to call it any yeah. kind of Eastern philosophy, you can. But that's kind of what helped me along too. Was was to just take today's days, like the Bible says, you know. And that, I struggle with spirituality too, you know. Take today's worries for what they are. That's enough. Uh, forget about tomorrow. Um, yeah. And, and well, so. stay. stay. Stay present long enough that you can learn the lesson. Because when we're uncomfortable, it's all about learning something. It's not a it's not a curse, you know. There's nobody to blame. It's I need to learn something. When I'm uncomfortable, it means that it's an opportunity for me to grow. It's an opportunity for me to learn. And 
when I do that, I'm a better speaker because now I have the experience. You know, I have the, I have the, I have the what now that people always ask me in the Q and A's that I do after I'm done speaking. Right. So, you know, and, and in my second book, we wrote a chapter called sitting in your shit because it's a not, it's a process that you have to go through because, because what you're, you're talking about is you're talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. Okay. I'm in emotional pain. Well, what is emotional pain? Emotional pain is mental health. So anxiety, depression, panic, all comes from that emotional pain that we that we that we can't identify because all we've done is cope, right? So whether we're happy, sad, mad, or glad, all we know it's a feeling. We know how to make it go away. Booze, drugs, food, sex, gambling, you name it. We're going to find a way to numb ourselves out because we don't have the tools to deal with that emotional pain. God, there's so many side questions. To. There's so many side questions I'd want to get off on that, but that will be a 10-hour podcast we do. But uh, you're going to express, express all that better on your own podcast. But, you know, um, when... You you really live life on the edge too. I mean, you really are an amazing story. I mean, you were doing stuff that was was crazy, right? And you, but it was yeah. all born from a thing. I mean, there's so many great parts of the book, you know, playing with fire. But um, I think a lot of people focused on the fact that even after you sign your your big free agent contract with the New York Rangers, after leaving the Avalanche, which we'll get into more of the Avalanche hopefully in a few, but uh, you know. You sign a three-year, $21 million deal, I think, with the Rangers. Uh, and uh, not long after, you were drinking wine down on the Bowery with, uh, you know, with quote-unquote, you know, we'll call them homeless people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that is the stuff of, like, oh, my God, you know, stuff. You know, cra- crazy it sounds like, but that was what your life was, uh, you know. Um, when you were going well, through that, were you always like, I'm going to get caught any second now? You, thank God when you played when you did, there were no cell phone cameras back in the day, right? Otherwise, <laughs> it would have been a picture yeah. of that. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but nobody, nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew who I was. They thought I was a, they thought I was a Wall Street guy. They didn't know I played for the New York Rangers. Because as soon as you're, as soon as you're three blocks away from Madison Square Garden, you're, this the North, you're a New Yorker, you know. You played so long but, though, in a fishbowl in Calgary. It must have been different for you too to be in New York to be like a fate, you know. You couldn't have done that in Calgary, right? No, no, no. Did you hide it no. better in Calgary because of that though? Because you were so such a huge star in Calgary. I mean, you won a Stanley Cup your first damn year in the league. Everybody remembers this, you skidding around on the ice. Uh, yeah, but but. Drinking is social, socially acceptable. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, of course. So yeah, that's a hockey tradition. You know. I mean, yeah, and, you drank and, beer you after know. games. I mean, there's so many old pictures of guys drinking beer out of their yeah. stalls. You know? Yeah, and, and 
you know, my cocaine addiction hadn't really surfaced yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I just thought I was a guy that, you know, liked to have fun and burn right. a candle at both ends and, you know. But as I long as you produce. Play, I showed up. I showed up to play every night, you know? Right. So, no, you, you did. You came on. You put up the points. I mean, your last your last full year in Calgary, 1995-96, you put up 96 points in uh, 80 games. Uh, mm -hmm. 112 penalty minutes, too, it should be noted. You're definitely the most scrappy five foot six guy who ever played the game, and I don't think that will ever change. Yeah, because <laughs> I was angry. Yeah, Fuck, you I'm had a short Theron, you had a very anger. short fuse on the on the ice. You had a very short. Yeah. <laughs> but no yeah. wonder. And that's and that's that's what allowed me to have the room that I had needed to get on the ice. It's because guys thought I was crazy. Here's a, and I, I, and I wanted them, and I wanted them to think that way. I don't know if you've been asked this, Theron, but w without the abuse you went through, you you may not have the career I, you I would, had. I, I I would have been just an average, small, skilled hockey player. How do you reconcile that in your mind? About well, I wouldn't have been where I am without the abuse. Is it kind of a thing yeah. where you almost look at it as a dark friend in a way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it saved my life. Saved my life, right? You yeah. had a so, hell of a career. You had 1,088 points in 1,084 games. That is Hall of Fame number. That's the biggest one right there. I mean, a point-a-game guy mm -hmm. for over 1,000 games, you know, that's that's Hall of Anyway, back, forget about the Hall for a second. But, you know... You, you've done so much positive. You, I've read that you were trying to do a documentary where you sit down with Graham James. Uh, yeah. Can you tell me more we're about still, that, where that stands? We're still working on it. So. Yeah. Yeah. What do you so think? We have, a, we, have a, we have a process in Canada, and you probably do in the U.S., but it's called restorative justice. Yes. Okay? And... The only reason why I pursued this was the last time he got out of jail, his lawyer, I saw a clip on TV of his lawyer basically saying that Graham wants to help. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And so, um, you know, we, we started filming this documentary and I said to the company that, hired us i said geez wouldn't it be great if we could do an interview live on camera with graham where he could educate us on pedophilia so that so that you know parents would know exactly what these guys are looking for you know? uh, as macabre because, as that because, sounds it's a good idea i mean is you know yeah, who better to learn from idea. You know, that's why security companies hire, you know, ex-hackers, you know, because they know what, mm -hmm. what's... Yeah. Honestly, though, Theron, that's... I think that would, you know, have you thought... I'm sure you've thought about... I know you've thought about this, but have you really thought this through about what that would mean to sit down across from him and how maybe trauma, reliving all your trauma again at that very moment might be for no, you? No, I'm, I'm so far past all of that now. Like, I'm free. I'm free. You don't think there'll I'm be some free. like 
thing where you're sitting with it. Yeah, I like... think I, I I think I think it'll be a bit uncomfortable, but but you know, the, uh, well, you know, I go with I go I go with what the universe gives me. Okay, the yeah. universe is guiding my life because September eighteenth, two thousand five, I hit my knees and I surrendered. Okay, and I turned my will and my life over to the care of the universe as I understand it. So the universe has always protected me through my whole entire life, right? Because, you know, one of the book reviews from the Globe and Mail in Toronto was one sentence. We can't believe this guy survived his own life. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's pretty good. So, so, so why would this opportunity be put in front of us? Why would all the pieces come together if this isn't what the universe wanted? Here, here's where I get into my own deep, dark thoughts. And we're, we can talk, you know, I'm going to ask you. I mean, yeah, it's great that you survived and you can tell about it, but there's a ton of people who get butchered and murdered and, and, and killed as kids. What, why didn't yeah. you? What was the universe's message to them? That's where I have problems still with spirituality. Like I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I've been working in the prison system in Canada now for five years. I've been to twenty penitentiaries. Okay. And the only thing that's different between me and the inmates is I didn't get caught. Okay, and their and their trauma history and my trauma history are pretty much identical. Okay, so they are they are sometimes a victim of their own circumstance, right? They've been abused, abandoned, neglected, you know, sexually abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused, spiritually abused, sexually abused. And so they're filled with anger and rage, right? And what these guys have taught me, first and foremost, is compassion first. Compassion for all. Because we all got stuff. We all got stuff we're not proud of. We've done things that, you know, that we don't want to talk about that are secret. And, and so I, I don't believe in punishment. I believe in rehabilitation. I believe that everybody has the capacity. Everybody has the capacity to turn their lives around. And those of us, and those of us who have been fortunate enough to have been given that opportunity and done the work and come out on the other end, why can't we provide that for everybody? Even right? to Graham James. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I mean, if there's one guy I would think you'd want to see, all right, no justice for you, uh, you know. Quote, why? Why? Yeah. How? Why? I mean, because, you know, because he did some horrible you... things. He doesn't seem to have he did. paid the penance for that. In the in the <laughs> traditional sense, you know, 
He has. He's living in his own personal hell every single day of his life. Yeah, but yeah, but he, you know, and, he's out and there who, free, right? He's not free. He's not free. He's not free. He's not. But he's but he's technically free, right? He's not in prison. Yeah, but he's in his own prison, inside of his own head. Do you? I mean, what if he's sitting there drinking a scotch right now, saying, "Damn, I got away with it." You know, I mean, he you think he's? You know, how do you know he's not doing that? Because who do you think? Who do you think I spoke to in prisons? The guys that were with him in prison, and they made his life a living hell in prison. Yeah, every every prison he went to, he got the crap beaten out of him almost every day. Yeah, well, some might say he deserves to stay there and keep getting the crap beat out of him, but uh, you're saying now he deserves rehabilitation chance if he can do quote unquote good. Hey, I'm I'm not here to judge anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm here to get well. I'm here to get well. Yeah. Jeez, you know, and you... if I stay, and if I stay in the headspace of anger and resentment and all that stuff, I'm not going to get well. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to get well. Yeah, that's something I've had to deal with too. There's some revenge I've wanted to take on people through all the you know stuff that I've dealt with, and I, yeah, I've had to work on that too. It's not going to do you any good. I know. I've, I've had to work on that. Well, good. because because I grew up just like you were. Not not sexually abused. That's the difference. But I was picked on. I was abused in my own way. Oh. And I yeah. wanted, you know, I had this rage inside of me for years and years. Um, and, and anybody who said the wrong thing to me or looked at me wrong or cut me off. I mean, I've said this publicly before, but I was the kind of guy, if you cut me off on the road, it, game on. I'm going to chase you off through the highway. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to cut you off. And then when I cut you off and almost crash into you. I'm going to pull off to the side of the road, I'm going to get out of my car, and I'm going to throw my arms and say, come get me, come on, let's go. Mm-hmm. I did that probably a dozen times in my life. Well, then how the hell did you escape jail then? Because I don't that's know. against the law. I don't that's know. against the law. I guess I did it when people right? weren't looking, the cops anyway, because I don't know. But I did that at least a yeah, dozen you- times. You're lucky. Yes, I am. You're lucky. I am lucky. Right? So, so be grateful for that. You know. Yes. Right? Uh, you know. Well, geez, like, now like that we've... we have to, we have to have a gratitude list every day. We have to be grateful for something because it's not all bad. Everything's not all no, bad. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. No, Hell, I was living exactly. the dream too. I was just like you. I was covering. I was in the hockey world. I was riding airplanes and living in hotels and being around hockey. Yeah, I wasn't getting paid seven million dollars a year, <laughs> but I was still living yeah, the same but... lifestyle, almost the same. Yeah. So yeah. it was awesome, and it's still awesome. Well, I'm grateful because, for it now because, than I ever was. Because, because there's nothing glamorous about being a professional athlete. Boy, we all think it is, though, right? We all think as a kid, <laughs> gosh, you know. No. When you got no, your first, no. 
let let's transition a little bit out of the the, the, the darker time zone. It's, you know, there's so many good times in your you know your career. But I, I don't even I don't look at that as dark. Okay. I don't look at that as dark. I okay. look at it as as hey, this is my life. And guess what? The majority of people relate to the darkness of my life. Because if they didn't, because if they didn't, I wouldn't be speaking somewhere every week. Because people want to know how to heal. That's the biggest discovery of all of this is people want to know how do I heal? How do I overcome, you know? Those things. What would be the number one thing that you'd say to people that you do say to people, other than live in the moment and that kind of stuff and get help? What's the most practical thing you say right away to people, you know, when they're in real trouble? Stop, stop, stop abusing yourself. Hmm. Because that's what happens. We take over the abuse. Yeah. And so we need to have a. I'd say to people, you need to have a relationship with yourself. You need to forgive yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to take care of yourself. And stop the insanity. Stop it. Yeah. Boy, you know, stop right? hating yourself. That's that's something that yeah. is true to me. I I had such self-loathing for a long time. And, uh, yeah, everybody yeah, said that to me for years. Why, Adrian, why are you so... You have it all. You're such a nice guy, it seems like. You know, you're smart... Why are you so negative all the time? <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I just um. Yeah. But it it became well, more. I finally but, started to for like accept myself. I think it was all just self loathing in a way. I don't know where it came from. I mean, I had divorced parents when I was young, but well, yeah, I wasn't that's, abused. That's where it comes from. That's you really where think? it comes from. Because I mean, that's what trauma. That's what trauma teaches us. I guess, but I didn't trauma think it was. I mean, I do remember times saying to my to my mom like why does my dad not love me or something you know i had those moments but i don't think well, because i thought i got over it because your dad I had good, because had good your times dad, with my dad after that i thought it was fine you know i didn't think i was in trauma but i don't know maybe i was definitely absolutely a 100 percent. that experience is trauma i never wanted and to the use that why, excuse though like oh, that's an excuse daters shut the fuck up and get out there and yeah that's that's old thinking. That's the old thinking, right? And that's what keeps us in a place of, you know, suspension, right? You know? But I can tell you right now, your old man didn't love himself first. And because he couldn't love himself, he couldn't love you. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait for another podcast, maybe, but... Uh... <laughs> All right, guys, let's take one more quick break here. When we come back, we'll hear a little bit about what it was like when Theo Fleury was playing with the Avs and, and, and his NHL career in general. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. We will be right back. There's nothing more important than family, and for more than 100 years now, customers have turned to Farmers New World Life Insurance Company and agents like Bryce Babcock to help protect the financial security of their loved ones. What makes us different, first off, is we're, we're completely customer service oriented, meaning that our goal is every day to be available. The other piece, too, is that I'm young. I'm 31 years old, and so I'm, I'm hungry, and I'm very motivated every single day to continue to make this agency grow, and, and that's just something that, you know, I, I think that I bring them. 
not a lot of other agents do. My initial thought was it's expensive and I just don't have money to invest in my long-term future. Everything I have, I need right now. But once I started looking at the options, it's an absolute no-brainer. You can find a life insurance plan that works for you, and you should. It's not just about death either. There's whole life insurance policies that actually have cash value that build over time and so on. So Bryce will break all of that down for you for free. The call is a no-brainer. You have to do it. Brandon's 100% right. Plus, Bryce is even giving out a deal specifically for BSN listeners. I'm going to go ahead and send out a $10 Starbucks gift card right, right off the bat. And so you don't have to do business with us. You don't have to. There's no payment needed or anything like that. It's something that we're going to do for anyone that comes in from BSN. Gives us an opportunity to earn their business. Call 303-996-6509 today. That's 303-996-6509. Thea, I don't want to let you go without talking some about your actual hockey career. And you you spent time in this fair city here in Denver. Uh, it was such a big deal when it happened. Like, when the Avalanche acquired you, I mean, it was... There had been, obviously, rumors for a couple months, and I, I was on top of it. I had you maybe coming here. But when it actually happened, it was like, wow, it finally happened. The Avalanche got Theron Flurry. Along with Chris Dingman, who people don't realize played a very good role on this team. Uh, yeah, he got Robin Regeer. Stanley Cup. No, I know he made a big play in game uh, game six to help them win a cup. People, uh, my fans know that. But I know. People don't always know that. If you watch the tape, he made a huge hit on Scott Gomez that freed up Adam Ford to score that goal that won uh, game six. That wouldn't happen in the cup otherwise. Uh, but geez, there when you first got traded, I mean. You had to have been in hog heaven thinking you were coming to Colorado. Peter Forsberg, Joe Sackick, Milan Hayduk, on down the list. You didn't win the yeah, cup. I... You didn't win the cup, but you guys did win two rounds. You got. You should have won that series against Dallas, but Eddie Belfort stole it. How do you look back, though, on your days with Colorado overall? I know they were brief, but, you know, how do you look back on them? Well, it was an incredible experience, you know? Like, to walk into that dressing room, it was like walking into the dressing room at the All-Star game. You know what I mean? It really was. Pretty much and, it was. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it. it is a shame that we didn't win. It really is. I mean, you guys... But, but that's hockey, right? Yeah. That's hockey. Yeah, that's it's why... hockey. It's that's hockey. why it's the hardest trophy. That's why it's the hardest trophy to win. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember the game seven. It's just like it didn't seem like it was ever going to happen because uh, you know Belfour and all, and Dallas was a good defensive team. Um, but uh, gosh, you, you did. You, you had some, you had a you had twenty four points in fifteen regular season games, and there should have been more regular season games. But I remember you got hurt that very first game. Yeah, and I missed you, seven games. I know you were you went to go hit ten games. You went to go hit Yanni Ninema, I guess, and some some uh, some lower body thing happened. Um, I remember that so well. Like we go to we had that first game, then we go to Florida. I remember for. For a road trip, and I remember getting a release under my door saying, "Third floor will miss <laughs> up to a few weeks with a lower body." And you're like, "What? He never gets hurt. <laughs> you were known for never uh, missing a game, but it happened." Um, and yet, you still did a lot of great things. You remember that first 
that one pair you played with Forsberg and Sackett, uh, third pair. It was crazy. It was crazy. We had a we had a two minute shift. Yep. In Edmonton zone, and we had the puck for the whole two minutes, and and it finished with me. <laughs> Basically walking the puck into an empty net. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was crazy. I looked it up. You guys had 16 shots on goal in that period combined. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Crazy. Um, yeah. But you know what? My two favorite guys that I that I really didn't like playing against were ended up being two of the favorite my favorite guys of all time, and that's. Patrick Waugh and Claude Lemieux. Wow. You know? Yeah, I know. Because you... I love, I absolutely loved how competitive they were. It was unbelievable. I'd never been around that. What you know? was Waugh, what was Waugh like in the locker room, competitive wise? He's just, he's all business, man. All, he just wanted to win. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Did he ever come up to you and tell you stuff like, Theo, you got to play like this? You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you, beat I him. I re- you beat him for a Stanley that. Cup, though. He must have hated you for that because he, you, he you were their one uh, Stanley Cup loss, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. You beat them. I know. <laughs> we did. Did he ever talk to you about that, too? Like, you, you dirty bastard. No, he never. No, he... <laughs> No, that never came up. No, I, it was business with him. He wanted to win one with you, Claude Lemieux too. Huh? I yeah. remember you played on a line with you, Claude Lemieux, and I believe it was Dale Hunter for one period as well. Yeah, the yeah. all McFilthy McNasty line. It was awesome. <laughs> Did you ever three like, of the three of the most hated guys in the NHL all on the same line? I know. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. The most hated line. <laughs> uh, I know you left for the Rangers. It didn't seem like it was in the cards to stay, but was there any chance that you were going to stay here? Did it ever get close to you re-signing or no? No. No. No, I I knew I was a rental player right from day one because I look at the lineup. Where How am I going to get $7 million? Right? <laughs> you know? So, you know. And... You know, and then how many times did Pierre Lacroix do pretty much the exact same thing until he finally won it with Ray, with Ray Bork, right? They would make, they would make those blockbuster deadline trades and try and win. Yeah, but you guys did win a couple rounds. You guys did dethrone the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, I remember you telling me when you came into Detroit uh, when it was two nothing. The airport workers had brooms. Uh, I think it was Northwest Airlines, the late North Northwest Airlines mm-hmm. workers were having brooms, taunting you with brooms. Uh, you went yeah. on to sweep them the next four games to end their two-year cup winning streak. You may not have been real, you know, much part of the Avalanche Red Wing rivalry, but boy, people in Denver sure were thankful of that. Uh, what do you remember about that series specifically, other than the brooms and and winning? <laughs> well. I couldn't believe we lost the first two games at home. Yeah, I know. People forget those <laughs> first know? two losses were at home. Yeah. And, and an then, ugly game two loss where they then, were like sort of feeling sorry for then, you. The Red Wings are kind of laughing on the bench. 
Yeah, and then in game three, Nicholas Lidstrom cross-checked me in the face and got a five-minute major, which put us on a five-on-three. And I think I think Forsberg had like four or five points during that during that penalty kill, and then that was it. We didn't look back from there. That's right. As as Woody Page immortally put it, uh, he was called for Lidstrom was called for low sticking on you. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but it worked. That was a big moment. You're right. Um, your career, your career is still your career. Uh, you know, uh, I know you wanted to win more. I know you wanted to to, to go out better. Uh, I was always surprised when you retired from Calgary after having four points in a 2009 comeback. Why? Why did you retire? It seemed like you were on your way to. I mean, four points in a preseason will get you ten million dollars a year now. Well, after I got, well, first of all, Calgary had 15 forwards on one-way contracts. And then, and then when I got, and then when I got released, you know, everybody basically said, well, why don't you go play somewhere else? And so I sat my family down at the table and Basically, my kids told me, you know what, Dad, we we don't want to get on a plane to have to come and see you anymore, you know, because I was living in Calgary and had re- reestablished a relationship with my kids. And so basically, I just said, yeah, that's that's good enough for me. And so, you know, but I didn't go I didn't go through that whole process to actually go to a training camp. I. I went through the process to get reinstated because I didn't want to retire as a suspended player. And so that's why I went through through the whole entire process. And the the bonus at the end of it was, you know, Daryl Sutter called me three weeks before I was reinstated and said, you know, if you get reinstated, we'd love to have you come to camp. And so, the night before training camp, I got reinstated, and I phoned him, and I said, you know, I'll be at camp in the morning. So, yeah, yeah I wish I wish that comeback had continued longer. Uh, definitely feel like you would have been at least a 40, 50-point guy. I mean, even your last couple years, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, his career kind of petered out. No, you had, you had 74 points in 62 games for the Rangers in 2001. Um, even your last year in Chicago, all right, it wasn't a great year, but it was, you know, 33 points in 54 games. That does get you $5 million a year today. Yeah. But when I, the thing about when I went to Chicago, you know, I basically told them, I go, I'm in horrible shape. I'm in horrible shape. I'm in terrible shape. I, I, you know, I, I, I just got out of treatment and it was August and like towards the end of August. And I said, I'm in terrible shape. So I said, you're going to have to be patient with me for a little while. I said, I'll do the work. I'll put the work in. I'll get myself in shape. And, you know, that wasn't good enough for them. I showed up. I wasn't in good shape. They got frustrated. They started yelling at me and all this stuff. And I was like, screw this. You know, and that's why I didn't go back. I didn't go back from my last year. Ironically, you know? the coach was Brian Sutter, though, who you would have thought you'd have had a pretty good relationship with. Um, he did. Okay, he so did. you had a good one with him. 
but but it's like I was done. I, like after we won the Olympics in 2002, I should have retired because I had nothing to play. I had nothing to play for anymore. I'd done it all. Yeah, but you know, you probably would have. It's easy for you to say it at the time, but at the time you were like, I mean, I can still make millions of dollars playing the game of hockey. I mean, that's that's hard to give up, right? It, it, it was never about the money for me. It was never about the money. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that. And I knew. And I knew that my skills and body were starting to deteriorate. And I knew that I couldn't. I couldn't be the same player that I was. Yeah, you know, well, man, you were, I, like, you were so fast. By the end man. of my career, by the end of my career, like I was beat up, like physically, emotionally, spiritually, like I was done. Yeah, I mean, I think we we all had a sense that that was happening, but uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, when it ended, I mean, that was so. That was that was two thousand uh, Jesus two thousand three. Then you had the moment in the mirror in 2005. Uh, yeah. I know this is in the book, but were those two years between that day you retired and that day in the mirror some of the two toughest years you ever had, or was it just like the rest yeah, of it? Was, yeah, it was ugly. It was as ugly as it gets. Because you had to deal yeah. with not only an addiction, but the end of your, your identity, your career at that time, your identity yeah. was hockey player. Well, that's Everything. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, Theron, you've you've been an inspiration to me and many others. So, uh, you know, all I want to say is uh, continued recovery, uh, continued everything you're doing. Uh, I know. Uh, I wish I'd been a little closer to you when you played here and all that. But uh, you know, life moves fast, and we're all kind of zipping around all the time trying to to do our stuff. But it's it's been so great to have you on the podcast to talk about this, and uh, I want to encourage all our listeners to go go read Theo's two books. Uh, Playing with Fire is sitting proudly on my shelf, and I actually bought the book there, and I didn't get a freebie or anything. I bought the book, so like, the check's in the middle. Thank you. And uh, it's a great, great book. I'm not kidding. It's a great read. I read it in like one night. Um, it goes so fast, and it's honest, and it's inside dirt, and it's you know it's everything you, you'd want in a book. Uh, like that and it's it's the more important thing is it's a great lesson for people and it's going to live on long after you go there and it's going to live on in a lot of ways and I'm sure you, you may not even know but it's going to really set an example it's going to it's going to live on in a lot a lot of ways I think uh, there's going to be there's well, going to be more I, movies about you there's going to be more stuff written about you from what you've done uh, that's right I, I, ain't, I ain't done yet I'm yeah I know you're not started. done yet you're not done yet uh you're still a young man, man. I mean, you're what? My age? 53? 50? I, I just turned 50. So. Oh, that's right. And you you turned 50, yeah. but you said you're only 29 because you said the day you stopped drinking is the day you actually mature. So you're actually 29. Is that right? I'm, twi- I'm 29, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll take that. We're all trying to stay 29. Uh, so right. maybe I should call myself that too. Uh, uh Theron, thanks so much. Maybe People can maybe follow I'll you. make another comeback. I think you should, man. Why not? <laughs> You're not too heavy, probably. Get out there. Screw you can get 10 points in this game still. Hell, that would be half more than half the guys on the Avalanche right now. 
before Ten. I go, before I go, <laughs> Theron, your quick thoughts on the league today, how it stands. What do you think of the NHL right today? Well, it's different. <laughs> really, Is that like really saying, different. Uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> I, I think the game the game is way too overcoached. They're just playing. They're basically just playing Xbox with these guys. You know, there's no, there's not a whole lot of creativity. You know, maybe your top two or three guys. Yeah, they're able to, but. Just, it's different. It's I, think different. Still and, crea- I think there's still creativity. I just think that the, everybody's as fast as the other guy now, so that the creativity yeah. just doesn't stand out as much as it did. Because the D are, are as fast as the fours, though. And that's, you know, you, you yeah. can be creative with the puck, but you're still going to get hit by the D man in 0.1 seconds, unlike the older days. Yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, I get what you you're saying. You don't. I, I see five games the whole entire season and I watch as many games as I can but I would say that four or five of them are actually worth paying money to go and see the rest I don't know because guys don't work hard guys don't work hard it's not it's not life and death for them winning winning is not a priority I mean I think that's as a broad generalization, Edmund, but we, I, I get what you're saying. I think that that's 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 true. But I think it's kind of always been true in a lot of for a lot of guys. Though even back in your day, Theron. I mean, you know, I think money started to get bigger in the '80s and '90s, and it started that where guys would be chatting with their agents after games. Even when I remember covering games in the '90s, that was happening. But yet, mm-hmm. I do think that that's that's more so now because they got more money. They don't. They can always come back the next year and try to win. I, 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 I get yeah, what you're well, saying. You know, nobody, nobody's gonna play till, like nobody's gonna play after 35 anymore either. Well, they can't. I mean, they, they, they're out of the league now. You're an old man at age 30 now. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, so, so you're telling me that you have you know, five or ten years to win a Stanley Cup, and that's not your priority? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, never been a player, so I can't comment on that. But uh, uh, all I know is that, you know, I do think that the the money has made it so that, you know, it's such a comfortable life and when that's happening that it's hard to live and die for yeah, a but cup, if you Yeah, but if you, don't, if you don't win, it doesn't matter. They'll, nobody will even know you played in the NHL. Nobody gives it how much money he made, they'll forget about you. Yeah, well, you did win that one cup. I mean, people forget that. I think that's the most forgotten about cup. For my, just my personal observations, it feels like the, the people still don't know that the Calgary Flames actually did win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> it's like the one, I don't know if you feel that way too. It probably is not that way in Canada and Calgary for surely, but. People kind of forget that the Flames niched in there with that one cup year between all the Islanders and the Canadians dynasties and the Oilers dynasties. There was that one cup year in Calgary. Uh, do you think your career would be just uh, you'd look back in your career with like almost no joy at all if you hadn't won that one cup? Yeah, it would suck. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, when you, when you sign an NHL player's contract, in the fine print, in between the lines, you're playing to win a Stanley Cup. And if you go your whole career and you don't, that's why you're getting paid millions of dollars. It's not just to show up and, you know, score 40 goals a year. No, you're there to win the prize. That's what it's all about. Well, you, you did that. Your, so that was your second year, right? Not the rookie year or was it second? First, First year, that's right. Year. I'm sorry. Shame on yeah. me. First year, the, the, the goal you scored against the Edmonton Oilers of all, you know, the, the hated provincial rival. Uh, you you slide a guy. What a goal that was! That's that's your signature moment in the NHL, right? That one moment. We all have one yeah. when we play as long as we do. Well, next podcast, I want to hear all about playing for the Belfast Giants. Uh, what it was like to play hockey in Ooh. Ireland. But uh... okay, sounds good. <laughs> that's good. Thank you guys all so much for listening. We we really hope that that you enjoyed it. We're gonna start trying to do uh, more of these interviews. We, we, we've done a couple now here at the beginning of the season, and, and I, think, I, think they, I think you guys like them. Uh, I think they're great. Uh, big shout-out to, to Dater for, for setting this up, and, and an, an absolutely massive shout-out to Theo Fleury for, for agreeing to come on and, and, and tell his story and, and talk about everything. And, and it was, I thought it was a great listen. We hope you guys enjoyed it. For Adrian Dater, I've been Jesse Montano. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Thank you guys so much for listening.